Over last year, we were looking at this uh, vital theme of discipleship. And it is really important as a, a theme because actually it's the one thing that Jesus told us we had to do, is to go and make disciples. So in talking about discipleship again, as we're going to do uh, uh, between now and Christmas, I think this is a theme uh, that bears repeating. I mean, if you've ever wondered what to do with your life and what your life was for, what God's calling you to is something that people often wrestle with. Well, here it is. Go and make disciples. Uh, you see, Jesus never told us to build the church. That's his job. He told us to be the church and to make disciples of all nations. And so this command that was given all those years ago wasn't just for the believers that heard it there and then. Actually, it was for all that would come after them. And so the command to go and make disciples has built into it this expectation that the disciples that we make will also go and make disciples. It goes through the generations. I mean, think about it. We ourselves are products of someone else's discipleship. And so that should be our goal. That should be our expectation that we make disciples who make disciples. And so we're calling this series Multiplying Disciples. So who are you discipling at the moment? Who are you teaching you might not even be aware of the influence or the impact that you're having on your work colleague, on your family member, because people are watching you. Did you know? It's not just the government. You know, <laughs> There are people all around us who are watching us because they know we're believers and they're learning from us and the way that we live. Who then are you discipling? Who is in your circle of influence who then have you gone a step further and invited into your life so that they can learn from your example more deliberately, perhaps, your example as you are learning from following Jesus? And as soon as you start talking about being an example, people start to get a little bit nervous, a bit kind of, oh, no, don't look at me, which is the complete opposite of what the Bible says. Guys, I just want to say this, that none of us are perfect examples and whoever said that you needed to be perfect before you could teach other people what you've been learning. But we can all be living examples, maybe not perfect examples, but we can all be living examples who direct people to Jesus. And actually what I've found over the years is that people seem to learn more from my mistakes than what I do right. <laughs> uh, it's slightly vexing, but it's the way that we are is often how you've apologized for something which has helped somebody. Or it's the way that you've restored something that's been broken that helps somebody. But it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about me. And perhaps that's one of the biggest mistakes that we've made in previous discipleship teaching or models. We've elevated those that we followed too much. And then we get hurt or disillusioned when they let us down. But you know, since the resurrection, none of us are obliged to follow anyone but Jesus. So our coming alongside, our discipleship is not about me, it's about pointing others to him. He's, that's the example that we need to pass on. Our example is that I follow Jesus. 
I don't have a clue what I'm doing, as I often say, but I'm trying to see what he's doing. That's what I want to do. So it's about how I follow him. That's what discipleship's about. We don't need all the answers. We don't need all the information. We just need to know how to connect or direct people to Jesus. So how does that sound? Is that a simplified form of discipleship for you? So are you ready to start multiplying some disciples to pull in some nets full of fish? And today, as I I launch this subject, I, I want to give you uh, a prophetic picture, so a slight change of tack. I want to give you a prophetic picture for the series of what I believe that God is doing in the church. And then in the coming weeks, as different ones contribute, we'll begin to unpack some of the tools and strategy of discipleship. But here's the picture I want to share with you. It's a picture, actually, that God gave to us as a church many years ago. And some of you who have been around a bit may even remember this prophetic emphasis because it was injected right into the foundation stages of what has now become Jubilee Church. And I've shared some of this with the welcome group this week, so forgive me. You're going to hear it again, but it's really good, so that's okay. Um, it all started around about 2008 when we first moved to Sully Hole, Alison and I. And uh, the thing that I noticed as soon as I arrived amongst that group of Christians was an incredible desire and hunger for the presence of God. There was a, a longing for his presence. There was an openness to the supernatural, a real openness to these things, which encouraged me and excited me, actually, that there would be a group of people who were just wanting to have encounters with God. But then as I got to know that group of people and as I got to know the church, a, a curious thing would happen that I began to notice. There was a kind of a, a rising and falling of the presence of God in the church. Uh, there was an ebbing and a flowing of the anointing. It was there the one minute, and it was amazing, and then the next minute, it seemed to go. Even by the end of the meeting sometimes, it would be very high, and then it would just somehow drain out. And the question I had was, God, why? What's going on? Why is this? How do we keep that imminence of your presence, how do we make the moving of the Spirit sustainable amongst us? And I didn't know very much, I still don't know a lot actually, but I I was drawn to this prophetic picture of Ezekiel's temple in chapter 43 of Ezekiel. It's one of my favorite passages, I think it's just an amazing picture, it, it grips you, it's to, it talks about how the glory of God departed from Israel, but how it would return and it was powerful and it was amazing. I thought, I know, I'll teach into that, I'll teach into that, it's a picture of what the church is meant to be, his glory comes and fills the temple, that's what I'm going to say. Let me just read this to you, Ezekiel 43 one to five, and remind you of this passage. Ezekiel 43, I thought, yeah, I'll teach this. This is good. It says, a man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east, and his voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. 
And the vision I saw was like the vision I'd seen when he came to destroy the city. And like the visions I'd seen by the Kibar River, I fell face down and the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. And then the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner temple and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And I thought, yes, this is it. If I just teach this, if I just help people to see this, that this is what the church is meant to be, this kind of place of the eminence of his glory, surely, surely that's enough. And so I taught it in 2009, full of faith. And sure enough, on that Sunday, we had a really high water level. And then the next week, the water level had gone down again. I thought, God, what is wrong? What have I done wrong? What is wrong about this? And then the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, you've been moving too fast. You're trying to do too much too soon. He says, you need to read the previous chapters. You need to read what comes before Ezekiel 43, because Ezekiel 43 has Ezekiel 40, 40 and 41 and 42 behind them. Surprising that, isn't it? And so I turned to those chapters because the implication that came from the Spirit of God is that God's promise of glory and his abiding presence is not an automatic guarantee in the church. It's not an automatic guarantee. There's some work that needs to be done first. So I started at chapter 40. It's some of the most boring stuff I've ever read. Just being honest, I found it really hard. If Angela can be honest as she was last week. Well, this was difficult and because the chapter 40, first thing I notice is there's an obsession with measurement of things. All you have is, in Ezekiel's vision, is this glorious man, which was presumably an angel, and he had a measuring rod in his hand. Keep your eye on him, he comes back later. And he goes around just measuring everything. It's not just for a temple even. He gets excited about measuring so much, he fits it out, measures it for a whole city. Through three chapters, there he is. All he's doing is measuring, measuring rooms, measuring ceilings, measuring walls, measuring boundaries, measuring, measuring. I thought, Lord, do I really need to read all this? And then he gets to the length and the thickness of the boundaries. Then he gets to the different administrative rooms. I thought, oh, Lord, save me. And the, the detail he goes into is just crazy. You should read that. I won't read it to you. but In fact, everything is there for the building of a substantial number of buildings. So substantial that Ezekiel describes them as some buildings look like a city. And he measured all of them. The church, a city on a hill. Hmm. What's it? What, what is all this about? And I, I realized that actually what God was laying out there in this vision was a blueprint for the church, a plan, a structure for the containment of all that was going to come. 40 starts to describe all of the containment that needs to come, the understanding, the clarity, the vision. And I realized that if we were to build a church that would sustain a move of God, if we were to build a place where the Spirit of God could be sustainably experienced amongst us, that we needed to build a container for the habitation of his glory. 
And the word container is so inadequate, but I can't find another word. But we needed to build a container for the habitation of his glory. There were principles to build by. There was clarity that needed to be brought about his layout, about his ordering. And I saw that this this was true, that God's glory, when it comes, it doesn't fill a void. It doesn't just fill the air and just wisp about somewhere and come and go and all that. It comes to fill something or someone. It comes to fill a people who will together agree to make up the foundation stones and the pillars of what God has called them to do. A people who know who they are and know what they have got. And if these people are containers of the work of God, then it is through key teachings and doctrines and foundational belief structures that mean that we can grow together and unite together for the work of God that he has for us. And then the glory comes. It's the spirit and the word coming together, complementing each other. So we literally did this. We took about three years relaying key teachings And foundations in the church. We did freedom in Christ back to back, didn't we, Bernice? Bernice helped us with that. We covered everything that the Holy Spirit showed us to do. And then we went on to look at the culture of the church because we realized that core beliefs alone are not enough. Actually, if it's only about beliefs, we can become quite harsh as people because other people don't believe the same thing. So we needed to talk about... This is what we believe, but this is how we're going to do church. So we spent two more years on the culture of the church, the behaviors that we would agree together. And then at a certain point during all this, together as a church, we invited the glory of God to come and fill his temple. Some of you will remember that Sunday. I will never forget it. We were in St. John's Hotel and the glory of God came. The glory of God came like I've never experienced. People were covered in gold dust. There was gold dust on the the chairs and people had gold oil on their hands. And some people laughed and some people cried. Some people lay on the floor and the glory of God came and filled the place. And it's never left. It's never left. There's this importance, this centrality of the imminence of his presence with us that has never left. And I really believe, I truly believe that what we are building is a foundation, a structure, a container for a sustainable and continual move of God. That's what I think God's been doing with us. Which is honestly what I think we're in now. It's not a rise and a fall. It's not a flash in the pan. It's not even a revival or renewal that comes and goes, but a sustainable work of the Spirit, continually partnering with the Father in all that he's called us to do. Because, you see, that's what church is meant to be like. That's what it's meant to be like. As we come together, he's there. As we come together, he's there in the midst of us because that's where he lives. That's what the Bible says, that the, the presence of God lives amongst his people vibrantly, actively. When we worship, he comes. When we pray, he hears. Why, why, why don't we pray more? Because when we do, he hears. When we pray, he hears. People get set free and healed just in his presence. 
The imminence of his glory is so powerful that lives are even changed in the atmosphere of the church. I've said that to some people gently and, and boldly at the same time. You just come. Don't worry about that. God will just heal you just in the atmosphere of what he's doing here. Seems that God has given us an anointing to bring healing to people that have been damaged in leadership, damaged by church. You just come. God will just heal you. You don't need all this, that, and everything else. Just come. Do you think I'm being... Do you think I'm overstating it? I just wanted an amen there, because... I think this is important. This isn't boasting. This isn't pride. This is what church is meant to be. This is what it means to be the people of God together on a mission where God lives. It's wonderful, you know. I've been in church a long time, but I don't think I've been in church like this before. I just want to announce that. just want to say that openly. It's wonderful. But you know, we can't keep it all to ourselves. We can't keep it all to ourselves. His glory comes, but it's not just to marinate in it. (laughs) You know, it needs to affect those outside the church, our unbelieving friends and our neighbours. Other churches that we invest in need a touch of this. New churches that we plant need to have the DNA of this. Our community needs a touch of his glory. I mean, look at our nation. So divided, so fractured, so broken. You know, we could spend week after week enjoying the glory of God amongst us, as we've done. But if we're going to cultivate a sustainable move of God, God, then the glory has to go out. (laughs) It reaches beyond the walls. Or as Ezekiel saw, it bursts out from under its foundations. Let's just have a quick look at Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47 Verse 1 says that the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. This is the measuring man again, the measuring angel. He brought me back to the entrance of the table, uh, te- temple. Oops. And it says, and I saw water coming from under the threshold of the temple, from under the foundations of the building <laughs> towards the east, for the temple faced east, and the water was coming out from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, and this became known as Ezekiel's River. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I would have been a bit worried about that if I just finished building something and then water starts seeping out from under its foundations. It's a bit like the time I decided to try and cure the squeaky floorboards in our house, and I inadvertently put a nail through a pressurized central heating system pipe on one of my less than successful DIY jobs a few years ago. Uh, But this is what happens when I do DIY. So this is kind of what would happen if I built a temple, I reckon. There would be water coming from underneath it or somewhere, and you wouldn't know where it's coming from. But this water, it it starts bubbling. It, It starts bubbling from underneath the foundations of what is being built. It's like some great underground spring. It's trickling out from under the stones. It, it's coming from under the foundations of the temple. And as it comes out, it's unstoppable. It's hard to stop water. Ever tried to stop it, you know, when a pipe goes? 
you, you grab hold of it and it just keeps going everywhere. You can't stop it. It's unstoppable. It starts forcing it way out. It's way out. It becomes uncontainable. It can't be held back. It just spews out everywhere because although the glory of God has come to fill the church, there's something about the glory that has to go out. It has to reach out. It has to affect the environment. It has to change the community. It has to water the dry places. It has to bring them to life. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life abundantly. It spills out. It bursts forth. Can't you see it? Can't you see it? You know, the temple leaks. The glory can't be hidden. It wants to be seen. It has to be seen. That's the whole point. The glory of God, his tangible presence. Ezekiel calls it the radiance of God. It can't be contained. It can't be contained. Or as Jesus says, the church is a city on a hill. It can't be hidden. We're the salt of the earth. It can't not change the flavor. You know, this building that we're building is not meant to be waterproof. It's not meant to be weatherproof. You know, even now, the glory of God is leaching out through each one of you. Even now. I mean, can you feel it? Can you feel the pull of it? Have you felt the pull of it? Have you sensed the trickling, the seeping out, out through your life? And your heart just gets moved with compassion by something you see. There it is. It's leaking out. Somebody you hear about and your heart goes out to them. The glory's leaking out. And you have to do something. You have to send an email or you have to phone them or you have to speak to them or touch them. You can't keep it in. It just leaks out. Leaks out into your community, into your workplace, the people you come across, and you can't contain it. You carry it. You carry it, but you're also given and equipped to be giving out free samples of a better kingdom that is to come. Do you know, guys, you don't have to be an evangelist to do this. You just need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, go and wait for the Spirit. When it comes, you will be witnesses. You just have to be full of the Holy Spirit and it starts to leak out. And then this incredible flow of Ezekiel's river that the passage goes on to describe. The flow Ezekiel sees is going towards the east, you see. The trickle of the glory is drawn like a magnet towards the east, which is back from where it's come from, actually. It's actually come in from the east. God's come in from the east to fill the temple. And the glory goes back out towards the east from where it's come from, from where God came to fill his temple. Why? Because the more that we give out, the more that comes back. You want to have more of God? We've been singing about that. Go out more. The more you go out, the more it comes back. Give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. You wonder why you're feeling stagnant. You need to give out. Need to give out. You're dry, give out. Whatever you need, give it out and it'll come back to you. Give and it will come back to you. Hey, I'm getting really excited here. Give and it'll be given to you. Because there is so much more to come. We've only touched, we've just touched on the glory. 
We haven't yet even begun to see the full extent of what God can do through us. Because we're the church. I said, because we're the church. We're the people of God. We are the inhabitants of his glory. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Do you know how much power was unleashed when Jesus was raised from the dead? So much power that it wasn't just him that got up. Hundreds of bodies were raised from the dead. That same power lives in us. Oh my God. We're limiting him. He pours out You know, if I I was to show you a picture of the temple, you'd see the route that it has to take, but I couldn't find a decent enough picture. So just bear with me on the description. The water comes out and it trickles down the steps of the temple towards the east gate. But then the altar is in the way, and the altar is 20 feet tall. (laughs) So the water, because water can't be stopped, begins to go around the base of the altar between the temple door and the east gate, the flow is diverted, and so the water then begins to run south for a bit, but then the pressure builds up, because you know the pressure's building. The pressure of his glory is building up, so much so that as it begins to flood that courtyard, the water seeps out of the south side wall of the temple. So we have this glory that is breaking out from under the foundations because it can't be contained. But then in five minutes, it's bursting through the walls. Bursting through the walls. You see, the walls are beginning to leak. The glory can't be contained within the four walls of a church that is living through a sustainable move of God. It's what he does. It's what he does. Did you know that you're meant to be leaky? You know, we use that picture of, oh, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, but I leak. Well, that's what you're meant to be. You're meant to leak. We are meant to leak. This is a picture of the Holy Spirit that was sent from heaven on the day of Pentecost. And images of of water in the Bible almost always represent the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells us, doesn't he, he stands up on that grass, last and greatest day of the feast, he cries out, he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me, because whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, that there will be streams of living water flooding out, flooding out, flooding out, flooding streams, not just a trickle, not just a, a tiny bit, a flood, a flood, springing up. Streams will flow. Bubbling up, springing out, forcing their way out from each one of us. We just need to be free enough to let it go. The Holy Spirit, you see, he's the presence of God in liquid form. The Holy Spirit is another expression of his manifest glory. But what is this temple? What is this temple, this picture? Well, it's a building made of people. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the corporate bearers of the glory of God, individual carriers of life. The indwelling, literal, manifest indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we see it, don't we, on on the day of Pentecost, they're, they're there in the upper room, shut away, closed away. Closed, the doors are closed. (laughs) Up in the upper room, 
And it says that they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And there they are, forced out, propelled out of the upper room, speaking in tongues and crying out the praises of God in languages that they have never learned. Because Jesus says, go into all the world, to every nation, to every language, go and preach the good news. So they speak out in other tongues. And all the nations are brought there because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they all hear the praises of God declared, proclaimed, powerfully in their own tongue every nation every nation under earth was there (laughs) they're forced out one minute hidden with doors locked for fear fear oh fear of the jews what's your fear of for them it was fear of the jews And then the next minute, out preaching on the streets, seeing thousands saved in a day, the Holy Spirit, that's what happens when he bursts out. Do you know, I believe that we're starting to seep. You know, I have the privilege of hearing lots of stories from different people. I had a text message, I I don't know how many messages, and I need to find a way of disseminating this, but I had a um, text message from Helen. Is she here, Helen? Oh, oh, hi, Paul. Um, so Helen's not here today, but I had a text message from her this week saying, I was in Touchwood Centre and I ended up talking to this cleaner and uh, she's got this Raynaud's disease and I ended up giving her the gospel and praying for her healing. Just like in Touchwood. We go to a restaurant this week, we end up sharing our faith, sharing the love of God and how much God loves this young man who's serving us as a waiter. It's so easy. God arranged everything so that we could share it with him. He was a captive audience and the fear of God fell on him. We were just out having a meal. It seeps out. It's seeping. I hear stories all the time. Some of you are beginning to talk about your faith in a way that you haven't done before. Why? Because it's such good news. Do you know, I feel peaceful. I didn't used to feel peaceful. I feel loved and accepted. I didn't used to feel those things. Some are sensing a growing need for people to be saved. Are you feeling that? Are you feeling that longing? That unstoppable flow? God, you need to save some people. You need to do something in our community. Come on then, let's go. And I'm not even an evangelist. Others are getting stirred into believing God for miracles. Ah, I am so stirred. You know, when Tim shared earlier about coming and making some big prayers, I've just seen another person die of cancer who shouldn't have died of cancer. I am so stirred about this. To see incurable diseases. You know, I went to Africa a few years ago and I saw some incredible miracles there. And I said, why not here, God? You know, we saw stuff there like... A man who had no teeth suddenly grew teeth. Why don't we sit? Well, because you've got the NHS, haven't you? You don't need it in the same way. But we need it in some of these diseases because there is no hope. The NHS can't help us. Bless them. They're amazing. But we're going to levels where we, if God doesn't step in, people are going to die. What's that about? I prayed for somebody this week, a pastor of another church, And he's been absolutely tormented by um, 
gallbladder stones, gallstones. Prayed for him. Put my hand on his side and in the name of Jesus commanded it to leave him. He said he felt a physical force. And then he felt angels come and stand next to him because I called for heavenly bodyguards to guard him because of the ministry that he's got. He is instantly healed. He says, I feel a different person. I was dreading the next attack. He says, but I went to bed that night peaceful and he hasn't had a single occurrence and he was waking every night with gallstones. Guys, that is a major miracle because gallstones don't just disappear. They don't just disappear. That gallstone must have dissolved but that's not physically possible the other kind of stones what are they kidney stones they can pass out of your body maybe very painful but gallstones you have to have your gallbladder taken out that's what i'm dreaming well i think that's exciting um steve wicking over the weekend away my my dear friend here prophetic guy Amazing man of God. He looked across the church on Saturday morning and he said, and I could see water across the church up to our, knee, up to our knees. And he says, and I looked for the whole weekend because I fully expected to see the water level rise because we're in a time of rising tide. I think that's what this is about. Guys, it's beginning to seep, but we're only up to knee deep. We need to go out further because that's what it says. The pressure's growing, bursting forth. Our walls are leaking, but the water gets deeper the further from the temple that you go. That's what Ezekiel 47 shows us. Just have a quick look at that with me. Ezekiel 47, verses 3 to 6. It says, as the man went eastward with a measuring line, there he is doing his measuring thing again. He measured off a thousand cubits. And he led me through water that was ankle deep. So we've gone beyond that. He measured off a thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. That's where we are. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. Guys, that's where we need to go. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river I couldn't cross because the water had risen and was so deep I could only swim in it. In fact, it was a river that no one could cross. And he said to me, son of man, do you see this? The river's just pouring out here. (laughs) The angel said to him, do you see this? Do you see it? Do you understand the significance of the rising waters? We've got this angel measuring But for this time, it's not laying out the dimensions of walls or boundaries or rooms. He's measuring out the distance from the temple. Because the further out you go, the deeper the waters get, the greater the glory and the more powerful the anointing. Have you ever wondered why it was easier to see the sick healed on the streets than in the church? Ever wondered why words of knowledge and prophecy are easier with unbelievers than believers? The water's deeper out there. But it's poured out from here. Now I am increasingly convinced that the church is the training camp for what we do out there. It's the hospital on the war zone, in the war zone, on the battlefield, but it's also the training camp. Here we get to practice and build up muscle. 
I think that's why it's harder sometimes to pray for the sick in church than it is out there. He's teaching us how to contain, contend. He's teaching us how to fight. He's teaching us how, how to, to war for what is ours so that we can take it out there. We learn here what the Bible says, but we live it and teach it out there. And Ezekiel is recording the depth. In chapter 47, I started with water up to my ankles, knees, waist, finally had to swim in it. I don't know if you realize the miraculous significance of this increasing depth and the impossibility of it. In in just over a mile, the wall goes from a bubbling spring to a raging river of massive proportions. But the mystery is that the stream isn't being fed by any other streams. There are no other rivers joining it. There are no other springs, and yet it grows as it flows. It just keeps getting deeper and stronger and more powerful. And if you read on, you'll see that the river grows as it passes through deserts, valleys, and adverse environments. It just keeps increasing. And the vision was so overwhelming in scope and dimension, so powerful in all its effect and its ability to transform that Ezekiel just couldn't comprehend it. He couldn't even comment on its meaning. All he could do was report it. In fact, before the vision was finished, the angel stops and says to Ezekiel, have you seen this? And God was asking, do you grasp the magnitude of what you're seeing? Do you see what these rising waters speak of? See, the power of God is not diminishing. In these days, the power of God is not diminishing. The world cannot overcome the work of God. Laws and accusations and threats cannot stop the outflowing work of his power. Deserts cannot halt its flow. Valleys cannot hide it. Dead seas cannot quench it. Difficulties and suffering cannot stop it. Obstacles cannot block it. The flow just keeps going stronger and growing deeper and deeper. There's a multiplication going on. There's a greater flow. There's a growing pressure that is driving us out. But the further we go out, the greater the depth. Let me just finish with this. I'm going to hand back to Paul. Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations. That means every ethnic group. Not just existing believers who want to grow a bit in their faith. We're called to disciple nations. Think about that. How do we disciple a nation? Called to disciple nations. But we practice here. We learn how to do it here, but it has to go out. Our disciples need to make new disciples who in turn themselves will make disciples one at a time, over time, and the multiplication will happen. Amen.